Okay, we've been um, talking, uh, Jackie mentioned, we've been talking for the last four weeks about uh, different aspects of giving and, and uh, finance and stuff. We um, had a few guest speakers come on in and share some thoughts with us, and it's, it's been a good few weeks. So I, I said that I wanted to kind of wrap it up this week so that we can move on to some other things. Um, I'll just preface this by saying that I went back through the archives of... of um, Time, which is what they are, time archives. And way back in 2017, before we came into the building here, um, I uh, preached a series of message around finance and and so on. What I'm going to do today is kind of summarise some of those weeks. Uh, And I'd actually forgotten we'd done it until I went back and had a bit of a look. But um, I took a lot more time uh, talking about um, giving and generosity and specifically the issue of the tithe. Because there's a lot of ideas floating around it and not all of them are actually you know, uh, presented with 100% accuracy. Some of them, sometimes they're presented with an element of truth to get a certain job done with certain elements of truth left out. Um, and so anyway, if you're interested in that, I, I found five... Uh, messages that were done. And if anybody's interested in getting that, not going to cost you nothing, um, can you see Luke at the end of church and let him know if you want to get those five messages? It will, I'll, I'll go through a lot more detail into what uh, is written in this book in relation to that topic than what I will today. Um, and I, I don't want to try to replicate it because I, I don't want to cut a whole bunch of stuff out. But if you're interested in that, uh, go and let Luke know. He can, we can get it on, on uh, CDs for you. Or well, we can also put it on, on USBs, apparently. Luke told me you can do that these days. You put things on USB sticks. Did, who, who, who knew that? Who actually knew that? Don't show off. Vesna, you knew that. You knew. Oh, Xavier, of course you would know it. You're young and hip and fab and young kids know everything. But also older people, I didn't know you could do that. But apparently you can. Anyway, I want to uh, spend a little bit of time this morning just wrapping up what we've been talking about. And I want to speak specifically about the issue of tithing. I'm not going to give us an exhaustive look at it, but I'm just going to float some ideas past you. We're going to look at a few passages in Scripture. And what I want to do is answer three questions this morning. And the three questions are this. The what of tithing, the where of tithing, and the why of tithing. So today's going to be a what, why, uh, a what, where, why message. Okay? So what, where, and why of tithing. Now, why do I want to look at these questions? I want to look at them because I read a quote not too long back from a a man that I greatly respect and he made this statement and it stuck with me. He said, if the modern church could get a handle on tithing and giving, it would change the Western church as we know it. I'll say that again. If the modern church could get a handle on tithing and giving, it would change the Western church as we know it. It wasn't a word of faith preacher trying to build a building. He wasn't somebody trying to set up their international ministry and get their their name motivated. This person is not even a Pentecostal, wouldn't be considered a raving Pentecostal, and in fact didn't even pastor his own church at the time. It was a man by the name of Billy Graham. Anyone ever heard of him? This is Billy Graham from his own mouth. If the modern church could get a handle on tithing and giving, it would change the Western church as we know it. And I agree with what Billy Graham had to say. Now, before I get into the what, where, why of tithing, I want to, uh, first of all, 
say very clearly and unequivocally to you, if you're sitting there thinking, well, it doesn't matter anymore because we're not under law. I want to take you back to a time hundreds of years before the law to a moment in time in the book of Genesis where a man called Abraham brings a tithe to a man called Melchizedek. It's in Genesis chapter 14. It's the very first time that the tithe is mentioned in the Bible. Uh, If you go to uh, theological college and do your training, one of the things I'll teach you is this uh, principle called the law of first mention. In other words, the first time something is mentioned in these writings, it will give you a good foundation upon which to build the rest of your teaching about a particular topic. And so I want to go right back to Genesis 14, the very first time that the tithe is mentioned. Genesis 14, verse 18 to 20, and here's what it says. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. It's interesting. This is hundreds of years before Israel have landed in the promised land and have established themselves as 12 tribes. Anyone ever heard of the 12 tribes of Israel? So Israel uh, ends up in bondage in Egypt. They go across to a promised land. The, the, the tribes of Israel are, are named and numbered and scattered. And there's one particular tribe called the Levites, and they became the priests. So here we have a picture of a priest that existed before priests were legalized, if you want to put it that way. Here's a man who's a priest before the priestly order is legitimized. He brings out bread and wine. Sounds a lot like communion to me. And Abraham goes to this man, and the Bible says that Melchizedek came out and he blessed him. And he said, Blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And watch this, and he, being Abraham, gave him a tithe of all, a tithe. Literally means a tenth. The backstory to this is this that Abraham's gone out and had a great victory in war. And then he comes to Melchizedek and he gives him one-tenth of his increase, of what he had won, the spoils of victory. He comes and he gives a tenth to him. He does something that there's no legal requirement to do at the time. At this stage in Israel's history, tithing is not legalised. The law has not been given yet. So tithing was never birthed under law. Therefore, when the law was done away with, the principle of tithing was not lost. If it didn't come in with the law, then it didn't go out with the law. So when we talk about the tithe, we're talking about something that is not wrapped up in law. It's something that became law, but was not started by law. And when the law was done away with, it continues, but not under law. Because it was never subject to law, in the first place. Melchizedek's an interesting character. He arrives on the scene here and then basically vanishes. You read a bit about him in the book of, of Hebrews in the New Testament. The a writer wrote a book called Hebrews. And in that book, he's speaking to people with a strong uh, Hebrew-Jewish background. And he's trying to take the, some of the stuff from the Old Testament and the, the way that Israel had their religious function. He's trying to say, now let's look at all this. This was a shadow of something else to come. Called Jesus, So he's trying to make a connection between the Old Testament and the law and everything and this New Testament person called Jesus Christ. And when you read in Hebrews about Melchizedek, there's a few things we read about him. In Hebrews, I don't, I don't want you to go there now, but it tells us in Hebrews that he was 
called the King of Righteousness and the King of Peace. Sounds a lot like Jesus Christ to me. King of Righteousness, King of Peace. It says in Hebrews chapter 7, he was without father. He neither had a beginning of days nor end of life, but he was made like the Son of God. Again, sounds an awful lot like the Jesus of the New Testament, without beginning and end, father, mother. It sounds an awful lot like Melchizedek is a picture of Jesus who was to come thousands of years later on. And so Abraham brings a tithe, a tenth, of his increase and the victory and the spoils of life, and he brings it and he gives it to this man well and truly before tithing became a legal precedent or before tithing became a part of the culture of the Jewish nation. This happened about three to 600 years before law. So when you hear people say, I don't believe in tithing because, it's, because the law's done away with you, you need to tell them, well, the tithe was initiated three to 600 years before the law came. Why are you even making the connection? Unless, of course, you're doing it from a religious perspective when tithing became part of the law... And then guess what? They had to give. Why? Because it was part of law. They had to give. Abraham did not have to give this tithe to Melchizedek. There was nothing anywhere we find in the writings and the literature of the Old Testament that tells us that Abraham had to, for any reason whatsoever, give of the increase of what he had, the spoils of war. He hasn't done this because he had to. He did this. Because he wanted to. So if we want to take a period where tithing in the beginning happened because Melchizedek wanted to, then we have this period called law where you have to. And then the law's done away with. Now guess what? We're back in the age of grace. It doesn't mean that we don't um, uh, still run and function and believe in the principle of the tithe, but it means that we're bypassing the legal requirement to have to do it. Now we're back where Abraham stood and we ask ourselves the question, do we want to do it? It's not a legal requirement. Let me tell you, start by saying this. You cannot tithe and God will love you. He'll love you. He will. He's not going to turn his back on you. He's not going to look down upon you. There's no legal requirement. You're not going to get more brownie points in heaven. You're not going to get closer to him. But here's what you will do. You will miss out on an element of God's supernatural interaction in that area of your life if you don't open yourself up to the possibilities of what he wants to do. I was reading this passage the other day, and it was really interesting. Abraham's gone to war, and he's won. I mean, he is blessed. He's got a great blessing. But then the Bible says that he gave a tithe to Melchizedek, and the Bible says that Melchizedek, who was a priest before they were ever meant to be priests, the Bible says Melchizedek blessed him. It's almost like there was this other blessing that came upon him as well. And so I want to say to you right off the, off, off the cuff that the tithe is not under law. So if you're sitting there going, I don't need to listen to anything he has to say, please pull your walls down and listen to me. Let's go on a little bit of a journey here. Like I said, I'm not going to exhaust this topic. But I want you to understand this. Tithing was birthed out of gratitude, not legalism. And when the law was done away with, maybe legalism was dealt with. But I don't think that gratitude has been done away with. Amen? Out of gratitude for what God had done for Abraham, it says he came and he gave a tenth, a tithe. That's the beginning mention of tithing. It happened three to six hundred years before the law was ever given. And very quickly as well, Jesus 
had the opportunity to debunk the tithe if he wanted to. I mean, Jesus walked for a number of years and we've got a lot of the recorded sayings and teachings of Jesus. And at no point at all did Jesus ever come out and say that the tithe is Old Testament, it's law, it's done away with. And he had a couple of opportunities to do that. Matthew and Luke, they both actually record um, a particular incident in Jesus' life which, if I'm open, makes me feel like he was kind of favourable towards the concept and the idea of the tithe. In Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus said this, he said, Woe to you, he's speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, you're hypocrites. He says, here's why you're a hypocrite. You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and that was really the legal stuff. You know, you, you tithe every seed, you get ten seeds, you give one to God, and so on, the nitpicky with everything. And he says, you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier, almost serious matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Watch this. These you ought to have done. In other words, the tithing side, I've got no problem with it, but it's out of balance. You're focused on those things, but you're not serving justice and mercy to people and so on. So here's a perfect chance for Jesus to go, you guys are hypocrites, here's why. Because you're still tithing and all this stuff, it's under law. Here was his opportunity to voice up and say, you know what, it's all, I'm going to do away with it all. No, but I, I, I hear in this Jesus commending them, saying, look, you're doing this, and it's okay. It's good. See, when Jesus came, he didn't do away with the Ten Commandments. He just kind of changed the bar, didn't he? You know, to say that law did away with everything, I, I you can go and sleep with your neighbour's husband or wife. Can you do that? I mean, law's done away with. Can you have other gods before God? Law was done away with. See, it's stupid when we think about it that way. Not everything that we see wrapped up in the title of law was done away with when Jesus came on the scene. He just changed the focus from the external to the heart. He changed the external focus instead of how do you look to in here to who are you and what's going on. Let's get involved in that. Let's talk about the heart. And that's what Jesus made the shift. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He reinterpreted the law. You've heard it said. You know, you've heard it said that if you take somebody's life physically, it's a bad thing. I want to tell you, if you're sitting there right now and you have hatred in your heart, unforgiveness towards someone, you've basically killed them. It's the same deal. Let's talk about the heart. Jesus shifted the, what, 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 they, what the, the, the Old Testament made a ceiling. He brought it down to become a floor. When it comes to tithing, it's not under law. Luke 11.42, Jesus says the same thing. You tithe all this stuff, but you pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done, but don't leave the other stuff undone. New Living Translation words it this way. It says, What sorrow awaits you Pharisees, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. We don't tithe, though, because it's a law. We tithe because we want to. We tithe out of gratitude. We give back to God out of gratitude for all that God has done for us and all that God has given to us. I heard people say that Jesus' silence, apparent silence on the matter of tithing is proof that it's no longer something that we should consider. But arguments from silence are very thin arguments. I want you to understand something. By the time Jesus came on the scene, tithing and giving back to God was part of their cultural experience. It was part of their culture. 
So he didn't have to make a big deal about something because it was already a part of what they did. He just helped them understand the reinterpretation. Don't think. There's a man standing at a temple and he says, uh, Jesus gets his disciples together and goes, watch this. And the man stands there and he goes, I thank you that I'm not like this. In the story, not like this tax collector here. I tithe everything and I pray and I... And then the poor old tax person here beats his breast and goes, God, I'm just not worthy. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, that man went away justified today. Not the person that did all the right stuff, that thought that he could impress me by his works, by all what he did. I'm looking at the heart of this man. This man knows. He knows that you'll never be good enough for God. You'll never be good enough for God. Stop trying. Everything you do to try to be right and try to be good in the sight of God and everything you do to try to get God to love you is simply dead religion. If we could do it, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. And every time we do it, we turn our back on the cross and we go, well, that's not quite enough, I need to... And Jesus calls out to us and goes, hey, turn around, have a look at this. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. Whether you tithe or you don't, it's not going to make you more right with God or less right with God. But I do believe that it gives God access to that part of my life which most of us consciously or unconsciously hold so incredibly dear to us and that is this little thing called money. Huh? I think it was John Wesley said, every man needs two conversions, one of the heart and one of the wallet. And I think he's true. I think he's true. Okay, so tithing is not under law. I just want to quickly go through that and just point that out to you. Three to six hundred years before the law is the first time we see tithing mentioned. It was not done out of legal obligation. It was uh, enacted out of gratitude for what God had already done in Abraham's life and giving him victory. I want to move on real quick. Let's finish up. The what of tithing, the where of tithing, and the why of tithing. So I'm going to go as quick as I can here with this. The what of tithing. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 to 2. The what of tithing. Well, it's right there in the word tithe, isn't it? It's 10%. Why did Abraham give 10%? I want to give you the deepest theological understanding I have of why he gave 10%, all right? He wanted to. We have absolutely no idea why a tenth. It's almost like Abraham decided this is what the bar is going to be. Um, we have no idea why it was a tenth. Maybe when you get to heaven and you stand before God and say, God, why a tithe? Why not 20%? Why not a twive? You know? Or, or 80% an ive. Why, why ten? We don't know why ten. But I've got some theories. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, it says this. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, this is the Corinthian church. This is Paul writing after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And I just told you a second ago that giving and tithing was a part of the Jewish culture. That's one of the reasons why Jesus didn't need to go over a whole lot of ground with it. It was already something that was a part of their culture. A little bit like, like me. I don't stand up here and I've never once preached a message on you should not rob a bank. Because culturally you get it. You don't need, oh, Jeff's in shock and horror. You don't need me to stand up here and go, you shouldn't rob a bank and I'm going to spend the next five weeks and I'm going to do a series on why robbing banks is a bad idea. Bring your friends. If you know anyone that's a thief, bring them along and I'm going to, why you shouldn't rob a bank? It's kind of culturally embedded in us. We get it. I go to a bank, take something not mine. Policeman takes me. They lock me up. I do time. I don't need to spend a lot of time on that because it's kind of culturally embedded and part of our culture. And there are lots of things that we don't talk about from the front as preachers and teachers because a lot of it, our culture's done the teaching for us. 
So every now and then we might just dance on the fringes and tap, tap something on the shoulder, but most of it has already been there. It's embedded in our culture. And so here we see here in Corinth a little bit of what I'm talking about where perhaps tithing was a little bit embedded. That concept of the tithe and giving was embedded in the culture. Here's what Paul writes. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, he was coming along and he was taking up a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. Because they were going through a hard time and he wanted to get some money. And, and Paul, being a smart man, said, if I get the Gentile churches to give money towards this, not only is it the finance that will help them, but it will tell the Jewish church something. They really are your brothers. Because they were still struggling with the idea that God would love someone who was not a Jew. So Paul's very smart in what he does. But he uses some principles here. And it sounds a lot like tithing to me. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints... As I've given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. Watch this. On the first day of the week. What does it sound like? Sounds a little bit like maybe what we're doing now. On the first day of the week. So every week has seven days. So on the first day of those seven days, here's what I want you to do. Take up your offering. Sounds a little bit like what we do now in church. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there'll be no collections when I come. Those two points... First day of the week, and storing up as you prosper. Here's why I think 10%. Because if I was to say, you must give $100, that's it, God said 100 bucks. Then the person with $110 in their pocket is left with 10. You've got to trust God. You've only got 10. The person with $1,000 in their pocket, they give God 100, they've still got $900. You don't have to trust God as much. Your contribution's not as much. Or more importantly, the sacrifice you made is not as much. See, I think God says 10% because he understands this. Number one, everybody has 10%. Not everyone has $100. But everyone has 10% of the 100% they've got. That means we're all included in this. We've all got a part to play. We can all do something. We can all bring something of our substance and our increase to God. 10%. Why 10%? Why not 20, 30? I don't know. But I think 10 is a good deal. God, I'll give you 10. God, do you give me 90 Talked a couple of weeks ago about, about in Corinthians where, uh, sorry, where Paul says that, that he gives you bread to eat and seed to sow. And we had a watermelon. We cut the watermelon open. And what have we got inside a watermelon? We got the beautiful meat of the watermelon. We got seeds. What happens if we eat the beautiful meat of the watermelon? Well, our body gets refreshed and it's wonderful and we grow and we get big and healthy and strong. What happens if we eat the seed? You'll, you'll poop it out. That's what happens. But guess what happens to the seed? It doesn't achieve that which it was meant to do because you've just destroyed the divine life that was in that seed. That seed was not necessarily there to eat. Seeds are there to plant. And when you plant a seed, it grows. It produces something. And so God gives to us every week. He gives you bread, but he gives you seed as well. problem for many of us is we can't tell the difference and we eat our seeds. We're eating our bread, but we're eating our seeds as well. And we're wondering why. We're not seeing God active in that area of our world. We're not opening the door and giving him the chance to get involved in that area of life. We want to be in 100% control of it. God says, well, here's the challenge to be people of faith. I'm going to let you be in control. I'm going to give it all to you and you can be in control of 90%, 10%. I want you to release control of it. That means trust me. Hey, I saved you, didn't I? Think I won't look after you financially? I gave you eternal life. I took you out of the kingdom of darkness and put you in the kingdom of light. Do you think I can't get involved in this? I said, let there be and there was a universe and a world. Do you think I can't? Do you think I can't? See, here's what I'm going to say to you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to partner with me. How about 
I'll get some stuff I want to do on planet Earth. What if I give you 100% you give me back 10? You keep the 90 and, and, and you eat it and you enjoy it and do what you want. But what if you just gave me 10? And what if everybody gave 10? I reckon Billy Graham, that's what Billy Graham's getting at. I think the Western church would be revolutionized. If everybody said, you know what, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to bring 10%. Not because it's a legal requirement. But because, God, I'm standing here right now grateful for the fact that you have done awesome things in my world. I'm grateful for the place where I'm standing right now. And out of gratitude for where I am now, God, I want to relinquish and release 10% of that to you. So the what of tithing, the what is 10%. It's not equal amount, but it's equal sacrifice. There was a man and asked his pastor to pray with him. He was going to make a vow to God to start tithing. And so he does. The pastor prays with him. And then the guy gets up and disappears. The pastor doesn't see him for another five years. And here's what happens in five years' time. He sees him again at church. He says, how are you? And the man has been so blessed, he shares the story. Is what he says. He says, I earned 60 bucks. I gave God six. Wow, it's awesome. And then guess what happened? Then all of a sudden, I found myself earning $600. So I started giving God $60. And before you know it, I'm earning 6000 So I started giving God $600. And then he blessed me again. And before you know it, I've earned 60000 and so I gave God $6,000. And then 6000 turned to 600000 and I gave him 60000 Now my company brings me $6 million and I need to give God 600000 Pastor says, that's great. He says, no, it's not that great, actually. He says, Pastor, can you pray with me and ask God to release me from my vow? Release me from... I mean, it was okay, I'll give God six, but now 600000 No way, that's, that's ridiculous. It's funny that if you can't make a decision to be generous and give now, you'll never get to the place where you will. People think, oh, just, if I could just get more, get more. You know what I find with people who wait till I've got more? You never have enough. It starts with a decision in our hearts now to do what we believe to be right out of gratitude and generosity. And so he says, Pastor, can you pray with me and ask God to release me from my vow? Giving 60000 is one thing, but 600000 well, that's another thing. So the pastor kneels with him and begins to pray silently. About five minutes later, the man says, are you praying God will release me from my vow? The pastor says, no way, I'm asking him to drop your income back to 600000 We don't know why Abraham chose 10%, but we do know that the practice became a part of the culture of Israel. They gave systematically, not randomly. They gave a tithe. The where of tithing, where? Malachi chapter 3 in the Old Testament, verse 10. It says this. It says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Try me now, and this says the Lord, if I'll not open for you the windows of heaven, pour out for you such a blessing that you won't be able to receive it. You know, pretty much every modern day theologian, historian would tell you the most uh, uh, compatible thing today in our culture and our time to the storehouse in the Old Testament is your local church. Okay? Your local church is the place where you bring your tithes to. That's my understanding and my reading of what the guys wrote in this book and of what their culture did and of what people did. The tithe in the church, the tithe in the temple was used for three things. Number one, it supported the priests who ministered in the temple. It supported the priests. They, they, they were supported through what was brought. And I guess in today's day and age, yes, I get my salary from what comes into the church. By the way, I do not get an increase if you give more. It doesn't work like that. I don't take a tithe of what you give. Uh, I've got a board above me and they set my salary and that's the way it is and it doesn't shift, doesn't move. Um, so I'm not doing this to get more money so I can get an increase and buy a boat to go with my house. I'm not doing that. 
It was to support the priests who ministered in the temple. Secondly, it was to support the upkeep of the temple facility. How many of you know temples collapse and temples need painting and temples need curtains and temples, uh, door handles break off toilet doors in temples. And, uh, you know, the, if, if, if we, all I've got to do is walk out there, flick one switch. And who's hot at the moment, by the way? Anyone hot sitting in here? No one? Okay. The Minister of Air Conditioning has spoken up. No one is hot. How attractive would it be to invite your friends and family, say, look, come to my church uh, Sunday morning. It's going to be about 44 degrees. We work in a tin shed. We've got no air con. There's no power. We're actually going to sit on the floor, can't afford chairs. And by the way, the floor is no carpet. It's just uh, concrete, you know. Come on, let's be real. 21st century in Australia, not going to work. So we use some of that tithe and those offerings and that income that comes in goes towards trying to create an environment, a nice environment, a comfortable environment where we can come and gather together, we can worship God, we can, we can hear some, some teaching from the Bible. A place and a space hopefully that's inspiring that, that, that you would feel comfortable to bring your friends and your family into as well. It was no different in the Old Testament. That's what they did with the tithe. We were at a conference recently and there was a lady there and she was talking about the aesthetics of a, of a building and how you had to try to make it look nice and all this stuff. And I've always, been, I, I kind of like whatever, I'm a guy. The blokes don't care. You know, he's walking out, who cares? But, but ladies, I walk in, they go, did you see the pot plant over there? It's like, nah, didn't even notice it. Did you see the colour? Nah, not even notice it. You know? Anyway, she starts to talk about the building and, and the church facility. And here's, she made this comment. She said, people say it doesn't really matter because God looks at the heart. But guess what? We're not trying to reach God. I thought, wow, that's actually really good. I'm going to steal that and use it, and I just did. <laughs> Arise, church. We're not trying to reach God. He's saved. We're trying to reach people. And so we want to have a, an environment and a facility that, that reflects the fact that, hey, we care. We're expecting you to come. We, we, want, we want you to be comfortable and, and so on. Especially in today's day and age. I went to a McDonald's some years back. I was over in, uh, in Auckland. I went to McDonald's in Auckland. You know McDonald's in Auckland sell the same burgers they do in, uh, in Ballina, the McDonald's in Ballina, sell the same burgers, the same fries. They, they have the same thick shakes and everything like that. But you know what? I would never go back to McDonald's in Auckland because when I walked in there, the food might have been exactly the same as what I got in Ballina, but it was the dirtiest McDonald's store I've ever been in in my life. Rubbish all over the floor, dirt, clumps of dust, chips, pickles, burgers. All. And you know what? Nobody cared. The workers just didn't care. I went to that McDonald's once. I would never go to that McDonald's again. Not because what they've got to give, not because the food isn't equitable to the food and all the other McDonald's, but the environment in that store, there's no way on planet Earth I would go back into that shop. People think the same way about churches, whether we like it or not. They communicate something. And the third thing that the tithe was used for was to support the ministry that came out of the temple. Things that come out of the temple. So the outreaches that we do, mainly music, the community barbecues, the other stuff that we want to do. My brain is so full of ideas and things that we could do. But the reality of the fact is we need finance to be able to do most of this stuff. It's not a foreign concept. You want to do something, what do you do? You, you budget, you make sure you can afford it, you want to go on a holiday, you want to buy something, you want to do something, it, it costs money. And so it's just the reality of church life is that those things cost. That's why the tithe, that's why the wear of the tithe was bring it to the storehouse. Bring it to the storehouse. What? It was 10%. Where? It went to the storehouse, to your local church. Not the television evangelist or compassion or whatever. By the way, I love compassion. Uh, I love uh, what all these other guys are doing. But from my own personal perspective, is uh, my tithe comes here and my offerings anything above that, I, I go, go to town, give it to them. I, I'll support those other things. That's great. But again, I think God's planted me here in Ganella Bar for a reason. I'm in this church for a reason. And I want to be involved in what God wants to do in this church, through this church, and so on. So that's where I bring my 10%. That's where I bring my tithe. And thirdly and finally, the why of tithing. 
Abraham had had a battle. He fought. He won. He received the spoils of victory. It was a good day for Abraham. It was a good day. And out of gratitude for all that God has done, I will give to God. He gave out of gratitude. In fact, the second time that the tithe is mentioned, it's actually Jacob. I think it's Genesis 28. Jacob has a different philosophy. Jacob says this. He prays and he says to God, here's the deal, God. If you will bless me and if you will prosper me and if you will keep me safe on my journey and if you will take me back to the land of my father and if you will, do, and if you will, and if you will, then I will give you a tenth. If, 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 then I'll give you a tenth. Abraham said, God, I'm looking at the space I'm in right now. I'm blessed. I can see the blessing of God where I am right now. I'm not waiting for some pie in the sky down the future. I'm not waiting, God, hanging you out with a ransom, going, you do a bit more for me, God, and then I'll, then I'll come back at you and I'll start thinking. And I'll, uh, No. Abraham gave out of gratitude for where he was. Jacob said, when you get me somewhere, then I'll tithe. You know what? Most people that say, when you get me somewhere, then I'll give, they never get there because their destination just keeps on shifting and moving. If I can't be grateful for what I have now, if I can't find something in my world to be grateful for now, I can have the fastest car in town, the biggest house, the flashiest boat. I'll still find reasons why I can't be grateful. There'll still be more. There'll still be something else that needs to happen to unlock gratitude in my heart. Abraham was already grateful. That's why he gave. Deuteronomy, in the book of Deuteronomy, it's put in this way, and this is the way the Jewish people thought. Deuteronomy 8.18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers. It's God who gives you the power to get wealth. That business you run, the, 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 the job that you do, that thing that, that brings a sustenance increase into your life, God put the seed of that in your life. You had to work with that. You, know? you had to educate yourself. We've got to flex that muscle and we've got to do things. But God puts the seed inside of us to achieve. You were doing something last night. God was doing something last night while you were asleep. That was, he was giving you breath. But then when you wake up today, you use that breath. Now you cooperate with God. And you go out there and you do things. So we educate ourselves and so on. But the seed that's within you, the ability to work with your hands, the, the ability to lay carpet, the ability to run businesses, the ability to teach, all these abilities, they're seed form inside of you. God put them there. He gave you those abilities and those talents. And out of gratitude, out of, out, of, out, of, out of that, out of acknowledgement of that, that was what God was trying to say. Because of that, surely you can find something to be grateful for. Surely you can give back to me because whatever you have and whatever shape and way it comes, I'm the source of that. Skip through. We're just about to finish up. So generosity. It was a motivation before the law was. Generosity gave birth to tithing, not the law. So tithing in the New Testament age is a loving response to grace. It's not a legal response to law. I'll say it again. It's a loving response to grace. It's not a legal response to law. Jacob, keep me, give to me, do, 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 then I will. Abraham, God, what you've done is blowing my mind as it is and I'm going to make the decision right now to start being generous and to start giving to God. Are you like Abraham or are you like Jacob? Can you find a place in your world right now in your heart where you can start giving now 
Or are you still waiting for something else to happen to enact generosity in your life? If you do give, do you give out of conviction that's the right thing to do? Do you give out of conviction and out of gratitude? Or do you give when it's convenient? Just when it's convenient. Those weeks that I have a bit of a win, yeah, but the weeks where I oh, better look after myself this week because I'm not sure if God will come through this. Oh, next week I've got a bit more now. I'll... Is it convenience or conviction that motivates us to be generous and to give? Here's what I believe with all my heart. You'll be as giving a person in this life as you are a grateful person. Finances, encouragement, time, you name it. You'll be as giving a person in this life as you are a grateful person. Learn to be grateful. Malachi 3, I'll finish with this. If you're about to say something to somebody and it was the last time you're going to speak to them for about 400 years, you'd choose your words pretty wisely. I would. I'd think about what I was going to say. In the book of Malachi, we all know, it's, it's the one that everyone preaches on in regards to the tithe and stuff. Malachi chapter 3. God's giving some instruction to Israel, then he goes relatively silent for about 400 years. Could have picked any topic, anything to say to them. Could have made any point, drawn their attention to anything, and he chooses this issue of finances and tithing and offering. Interesting. Could have said anything. Could have talked to them about their relationships with one another. Could have talked to them about how they're raising their kids. He said, I'm going to go here with finance because this is a bit of a big deal because it tells me a lot about you as a nation and where your heart's at. It tells me a lot about what you can trust me with or don't trust me with. It tells me a lot about your passions. What about your desires? What's important to you? Tells us a lot. Tells God a lot. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 to 12. You want to whack that up for, there for me, Luke? I'll finish up with this. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you say, what way have we robbed you? He says, in tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you rob me. Even this whole nation, you've robbed me. God can only use that language if, from God's perspective, what you've got isn't yours. He's saying the tithe, the offerings, I've already, that's, that's not yours. But I've got to make it active on planet Earth, and the way I do that is through human agents. I don't just click my fingers and make paper fall out of the sky and things happen. I get you involved. He says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And you're not going to find this anywhere else in the Bible, in these ancient writings. Try me in this. Test me in this. That's a challenge from heaven to you. Everywhere else it says, don't test God. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. And here's God himself going, you know what? In this one area, I want you to test me. I want you to test me. I want you to test me. I want you to do something. You know, on TV they've got the 30-day fitness challenges, all that stuff. You know, eat, eat raspberries and clean air and do 20 of these a day and you'll lose 50 kilos, all that sort of stuff that's going around at the moment. I wonder if it's God's way of doing a, I'm going to do a 90-day tithe challenge, Israel, for 90 days. 90 days would you bring your tithe to the storehouse and if after 90 days you're not satisfied, send it back. And I'll give you back your money and I'll give you a set of steak knives or whatever. 
Test me. Test me. Test me. Test me. And what will I do? I'll get involved in the uncontrollable parts of your life. Israel were an agrarian society. Locusts would come on in and swarm in and eat. And guess what? You can't stop a swarm of locusts. But God can. God can. Windows of heaven, that phrase is only used in the Old Testament uh, several times and it's used to refer to the rain and the windows of heaven being opened up and rain coming down. If you're growing crops, you need what? You need rain, you need water. Guess what? No human being can make it rain, but God can. What Israel are hearing here is all these uncontrollables that come against us. If we do this, if we start honouring you with our finance, then you'll get involved in the uncontrollables of life. And God says, you betcha. And I'm so confident of that, I'm going to challenge you. I dare you, Israel. I dare you. Start to do it. Start to do it. Because I want to pour out such blessing upon you that the nations around you see it. And the nations go, my goodness, what have they got? I'll have what she's having. It was always God's plan throughout the Old Testament with Israel. Pick a nation. That nation follow me. I bless them. And everybody else goes, okay, that's got to be the one true God. Test me in this. Billy Graham also said this. He said, We found in our own house, as have thousands of others, that God's blessing upon the nine-tenths when we tithe helps it go farther than the ten-tenths without his blessing. That's Billy Graham. That's not a hyper-faith guy. That's Billy Graham. And I want to attest to you here. I know there are people in this room, and you've made the decision. You've committed that that tithe to God. Here's what I want to challenge you with. If you don't tithe, I want to challenge you with the words of Malachi. Test God in this. Test God in this. If you're sitting here now and you're saying, but I, I, I can't start. You've got to start somewhere. You've got to start somewhere in order to begin to trust God with the financial part of life. You've got to begin somewhere to, to start to enact generosity and faith. You've got to put yourself out there on a ledge in order for God to catch you. Amen? If you don't tithe, I want to challenge you to go to God. If you can't, tell him why. This is why, God. If you don't believe it, then get into these ancient writings and, and, and get a conviction about it. Whatever. If you don't believe, don't do it. But I'm, I want to challenge you that, that, that there's something in it for you. That's what God's saying. Israel, tithe, and I will get involved in the uncontrollables of your life. God does not need your money, but you need to open up your heart and you need to be generous and you need to give. That's the bottom line. God doesn't need your money, but you need to give it to him. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. I, I just pray over these last four weeks, God, you would just... Uh, God, any, anything that's running around in people's minds that they don't understand or anything that could be misinterpreted or whatever, Father, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, just uh, answer those questions. Father, bring those questions to the front of people's minds. Uh, Lord, lead them to somebody to talk, to ask, God, not just to allow that to sit there and roll around and become a stumbling block for them, Lord. God, I want to thank you that, Father, it's not the money that you're interested in. It's our hearts. Lord, I want to thank you, God, that, Father, we can trust you with our salvation. We can trust you with our family, with our husbands, with our wives. Lord, we can also trust you with our finances and our provision. And, Lord, I pray, God, for each person here, Lord, that, uh, Father, people that are active and generous in giving to, uh, Lord, to their local church, wherever they meet, God, uh, who support the ministry that's going on through their Father, who believe in what that uh, movement is, is doing in their community or whatever, God, I pray that, Lord, you would uh, pour out blessing. As you said, Father, you pour out blessing so much so that it cannot be contained. 
upon them, Father, and that those around them, their family and their friends and those that see them from the outside would look at them, would see evidence, the blessing of God, Lord. And we know it's not just money, God, it's, it's, it's joy, it's peace, it's happiness, it's contentment, Father, with what we have, Lord. It's all those things wrapped up, Father. So bless those people in Jesus' name. And God, if there are people here who are struggling with this idea, God, who, God Lord, I pray you'd speak to them and, and God, show them why. Why is this a challenge? God, why is this the last great frontier of their heart? to get over. And God, speak to them. Show them the great blessing that you have in store for them, God, and and what you want to do, God. What are the uncontrollables in their life that you want to get involved in, Father, and that you want to turn around and change, Lord? And Father, most of all, we thank you this afternoon for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. We love you. We thank you for what you did for us on the cross. And Lord, I pray for the next seven days as we go out from here, Lord, I pray that uh, God, let everybody in here that loves you, that knows you, that's experienced you, Lord, let us tell somebody this week, in the next seven days, let us encounter someone and speak to somebody and tell them about the goodness of God, Lord. Somebody who doesn't yet understand that, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, bless you. God bless you guys. Have a fantastic week. Um, 10 o'clock next week. We're not going to go back to 10.30 yet. We'll just see if we can't shuffle a few more people uh, in here and just let people know it's a... It's a uh, at 10 o'clock start still. Uh, as I said before, I've skimmed the surface of some stuff here, but I did five weeks, uh, five messages on it in 2017, and they expand on those points a lot more. And so if there's any misunderstanding or whatever, please go see Luke, disc, USB, whatever, he can whack it on there. So we're going to we finish up now. So uh, it's 11, 12 o'clock. 12 o'clock, we're going to meet out the back, just straight around the side here, and we're going to have a barbecue. We're going to burn up some stuff that the devil's planted here on planet Earth, and we're going to make sure that nobody else gets their hands on it by turning it to ashes and dust. Uh, so if you're uh, okay with that and comfortable with that, we're also going to hear a bit of Kathy's story as to why she's doing it. We'll do that in about five, six, seven minutes. Bless you guys.